This episode of Revision Path is brought to you by Facebook Design. Facebook undoubtedly has some of the world's top designers working under one roof. But what does it actually take to be a designer there? I asked product designer John Angelo to find out. It takes uh, having a lot of empathy and being able to think in a lot of different from a lot of different standpoints. Like, uh, for example, one big thing that that you have to take into account is how many different demographics and types of people that you're designing for at Facebook. You're, you're building a, a great product that works well for everyone. It's, it's best to not think in a bubble, to think outside of the box, and to you know um, bring a whole lot of different perspectives into your designs. Learn more at facebook.com/design. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, I want to talk about our sponsors, MailChimp, Hover, and SiteGround. You know, automation is huge, and the great thing about MailChimp is how they use automations to help make your email marketing efforts a lot more powerful. You know, you can set up automations to reward the most active people on your list. You can send order notifications. You can follow up on purchases. And now you can even do retargeting. You know how you'll you'll look at something on a website, like on Amazon or something, and then you magically see an ad for it on another website later on? MailChimp can help you do retargeting like that. Sign up at MailChimp.com today for a free account and give it a try. MailChimp. Send better email. Your online identity really begins with your domain name. So no matter what kind of an artist or a designer you are, showcasing your passion online is super important. And Hover makes the process of finding a domain easy by giving you access to hundreds of domain extensions so you can find something really unique, personalized email, and award-winning customer service. So make sure you go to hover.com forward slash revision path so you can get 10% off on your first purchase. SiteGround's hosting services are crafted for professional, business, or enterprise projects. They let you build better, faster, safer websites more easily, and they offer multiple hosting options that your websites can grow into. All of their plans have managed WordPress hosting, they include staging, and Git integration. Get started today by visiting SiteGround.com forward slash revision path so you can get 60% off on all hosting plans. SiteGround, web hosting crafted with care. Also, we've got a new review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, We actually got this review last month, but we had so many ad reads that I didn't want it to kind of get lost in the shuffle, so I'm reading it now. This review is from Robert Tress TYS, and it's called Great Resource and Listening. Here it goes. I started listening to Revision Path last year with Kai Jacobs and have been a fan ever since. Maurice always has a diverse array of people and professionals on the podcast. It's easy to learn from these folks and to have something creative and PLC focused. Well done. Well, Robert, thank you so much for leaving that great review. Again, for those of you who want to leave a review, make sure you hit us up on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and a review. We'll read it right here on the show. Now let's go ahead and jump into this week's interview. We're talking to visualization specialist, cinematographer, and concept artist Matthew St. Cyr. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. Hey, my name is Matthew St. Cyr, and I'm a concept artist, visual development artist, and now cinematographer. 
How did you first get into all of this? I mean, from doing my research, I see that you do a lot of of different types of work besides what yeah. you just mentioned. But how did you first get into all of this? As a kid, I was introduced to art pretty early. My family was very creative, so I was around visual stuff, music, things like that. And then when I was in high school, uh, it's when I got really serious. I was trying to think about what I could approach to kind of make a career out of it. My friends had given me a ton of links and stuff about Japanese comicers. A lot of underground people, some, of course, common stuff, but I wasn't really into reading manga or anything like that. And at the same time, they gave me a lot of music. And before that, I'd been writing stories, but I thought, okay, if I want to make these things bigger, if I want to make them real, I should probably really dig into this and learn how to draw. So I pushed with that, kept studying, and then went to an animation school in my area called Sheridan College. And there I just pushed my skills and kept going, met a lot of people. And then after that, got introduced to concept art, film artwork, gaming, things like that. Then got into matte painting and that VFX side of things through an internship while in school. And from there, it was just, it just kept building. And now Sheridan College is actually, I mean, pretty well known in mm-hmm. the in the animation industry. Is that right? Yeah, extremely well. You can find grads pretty much everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I actually have a friend uh, who's from India. Mm. He went to uh, he went to Sheridan College. That's how I first heard about it. Is him telling me about it, but um, cool. to let him tell it, it's like it's a, a really it really sort of pushes you into kind of what it is that you want to do creatively, whether that is animation or art, which I guess, you know, those kind of schools would do mm-hmm. in general. But Sheridan is, is really well known for that. Yeah, it's a big school up here. I think just because of the environment, maybe because it's just one of the few big schools like that in the region altogether, mm-hmm. it draws in a lot of people that are really focused and that atmosphere helps to drive you. And also a lot of people from the industry have come from the school, so they come back to visit and you get connected and you get exposed to a lot of different stuff. I think the largest thing in that impact is the exposure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was your time like there? It was pretty cool. There was like, it was rough at some parts because again, when I got in, I couldn't draw. Um, I mean, I could draw, <laughs> but you know what I mean? I had to learn a lot of new things. And then there was also, well, from an early point, I kind of knew the feel that I wanted to reach with my work. And when going through different schools, like anything, or like being at any job, they also have house styles, right? So being in a certain school, different teachers will have different styles, and they kind of favor to one side or the other. So you can learn from everything, of course, stay open. But at the same time, you can't always get the best marks if you're trying to hit a different goal than they're Mm -hmm. outlining for you. So that's kind of one of the things that I'd say most people should probably take that to heart. In knowing what you want, understand that you're going to face a little bit of opposition, even if they're from, you know, professors or things like that, because not everybody sees what you do. And sometimes I find that, yeah, if you have vision, you're trying to create something that doesn't necessarily exist yet or doesn't show up to most people. Mm-hmm. And you have to just understand that not everybody has to understand you. That's totally okay. Yeah, that's kind of what I got from it. It was great in the sense that I could train 
be exposed to a lot of stuff, learn a lot, you know, push myself. And yeah, the challenges were just that the same thing that it's like the advantage and disadvantage is that you're pushing towards something new. So you're going to face that opposition that helps you and also is still a bit rough, but that's a part of accomplishing anything really. Yeah. It sounds like it gave you the, like the tools and the exposure, but it didn't shape your aesthetic. Is that kind of a good way to put it? Correct. Correct. Yeah. Correct. That's the first time I've heard of, of house styles, but I could totally, I could totally see that because I mean, we've had several different designers on here that have went to big art schools. Like they went to SCAD, they went to RISD, they went to SVA, but I never really thought about how each of those different schools has like a unique and distinct kind of, I guess, style that might go along with it. Mm-hmm. I didn't think about that. Hmm. Yeah, because usually the schools will have a set few objectives that people are trying to hit. They'll also have teachers from certain companies. So, for example, when I was learning layout and environment drawing, my teacher was, I think, the lead on Hunchback of Notre Dame or something like that. Like, I think he did that. It was like that type of stuff. So we were exposed to a ton of those development drawings and that stuff. So if, you'd, if you're studying the notes heavily, your stuff might lean to that. Or I have some friends at like Studio 4C, right? And at the time when their stuff was really, really in, like Tech on Concrete and stuff like that was out, a lot mm-hmm. of people were leaning their stuff towards that because they were trying to get into that zone, right? So it's all about the objectives. And of course, you know, Disney, Pixar, <laughs> that stuff. Yeah. People will cater their portfolios to say, okay, they could walk in and work with them easily. It makes sense, of course. It really depends on the person. If you're really trying to cut out and do something that's just really personal to you, you're going to have to fight against the house style a little bit. And now speaking, I guess, of styles and aesthetic, you know, of course, we'll have links in the in the show notes to your website so people can see your work. But when I was doing my research, one thing I noticed is that you have this very strong minimalist aesthetic mm. that goes throughout your work. I'm loath to call it a Japanese aesthetic, although I do see where you have elements from yeah. Japanese culture in your work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I lived there for a while too, so it was pretty cool. But growing up, I mean, I was just exposed to that a lot. Uh, again, the first real artists that I was given were Japanese commoners. So that stuff just was, you know, what I grew up on. And before I used to be into super detailed stuff, like um, I have, I can probably dig up old drawings for you later. But uh, yeah, I used to do really, really detailed environments and super technical stuff. And then at a certain point, I started looking more into realism. Mm-hmm. And with that, I saw that, okay, you take the detail and you balance it selectively. So in essence, I just got the ability to finesse it a little more so that I didn't have to crowd things to get the point across. How did you sort of refine your style to get to that point? Was it through work that you've done or just kind of, I mean, when I say work, I mean like working at other companies and things. I think it's like, it felt like it was a part of my growing up. Um, It's weird to say it like that, but when I was younger, I was just really more intense and I was like, okay, maximum detail, maximum level of everything, push all the limits. And then as I was going through it a little more, I thought, all right, how do I want my work to feel? Like, is this detail taking away from or adding to the piece? If I can say something with one line, why do I need 50? Right? That type Mm -hmm. of thing. But in terms of work, I mean, the first 
the very first industry project I worked on was for production IG, like from Ghost in the Shell group. Like that was my oh, very okay. first thing when I was still in school, which is weird because it just happened that in animation school, my acting teacher, he put out a thing on Facebook and he said, uh, this studio is looking for artists, whatever. So I applied there and I didn't actually, when I went for my internship, I didn't get any callbacks except for there. So it was weird, but it worked out. And with that stuff, I saw, I still have the books. Of course, I don't think they can be shared online or they're posted anywhere, really. But it's like all of their production drawings and the, the drafting designs and everything. And I saw the level of finely tuned, orchestrated detail. And it still was very, very clean and like easy to read and really well designed so that you could step back and you could look at it. And it's very clean. You can read everything. But then you look into it and you realize that the care they put into the detail and the orchestration behind it, that was really cool to me. And I think that in part shaped a little more of how I grew as an artist. When were you living in Japan? Ooh, was it like maybe three years ago? I think, I think three years ago. Yeah, <laughs> it was the, it was winter okay. and it was, yeah, I lived in Osaka for a little while and then I got met up by some uh some djs traveling through from the states and nice. they asked me to go on tour with them shooting photos and video and that's actually how i got into cinematography more heavily i had my camera always but people just happened to really like my shots and japan made it very easy to get good looking shots the scenery is crazy <laughs> so <laughs> um, it's just insane and it's like when people watch anime and they go, oh my God, those layouts, they're insane. No, those are literal locations. A lot of them, they yeah. just rip them and put them right in it. So it was very easy to make things look good. And especially coming from animation school, mm -hmm. I just had the sensibility. I had the design shots already. So yeah, it was just easy. And with that, it kind of pulled me into that second part of the career. Aside from you know getting exposed to cinematography and stuff through taking these photos, how did Japan change you as a designer? Um, as a designer? Well, actually, when I was there, I wasn't drawing. I remember a friend, they hit me up and they said, oh, man, I can't wait to see all the crazy drawings you're going to be doing when you're there. And I'm like, I'm not drawing at all. I'm not lifting a pencil. I'm going outside <laughs> and I'm experiencing this. So, yeah, as a designer, it has like a certain feeling associated okay. with the place. So when I went, it's a certain atmosphere. It's a certain flow in the day to day. It's a lot of little things that add up to it. And I think that that vibe, it really, it kind of just changed the way I feel about life in general. Once you live in a different culture entirely, that's totally flipped from your own. Mm -hmm. Your sense of perspective changes a lot. So yeah, it just really, yeah, it just changed me. I think I can barely explain how it did it, but I'm just, <laughs> uh, it's like I have I a different, a different sense of vision. When it comes yeah. to my work, I can see things a little differently. I approach things with a certain level of calmness. I frame things up a certain way and I know a bit more of what I like. I think that's the best way to put it. Once you know what you like, you can kind of reach for it. Mm -hmm. And being in that country and on the way, even traveling, stopping off in like Vancouver a little bit, things like that, it just, uh, yeah, it, it let me know a little bit more of what I like so that I can pull that back into my work. So funny. Every designer I've had on the show that has been to Japan mm -hmm. at some point, 
I don't know, for them, it, it feels like it's changed or it's added just a certain dimension mm-hmm. to their work. And I, I guess I'm just curious as to what makes it that way. Is it just uh, the culture? Or, uh, or, it's, not, you know? it's not really the culture. It's being in a place where there are 100,000 little decisions that have been made to make your day more convenient. Okay. So, for example, if it rains, every single convenience store has buckets of umbrellas that are like a dollar or two dollars <laughs> so that everyone has one. At clubs, nightclubs, they have umbrella racks. <laughs> they have lockers for everybody that goes into the place. Little things like that, they don't have them everywhere. It's things that just make your life breezier. And when so many little things just make your experience smoother, you feel better. You just have an easier time doing stuff. You yeah. don't have all the little, a lot of little hassles are taken away. Of course, in every country, there are also bizarre hassles. But yeah, it's very, very straightforward. I mean, I have an affinity certainly for, <laughs> it's probably going to sound funny, but I have a, a big affinity towards Japanese stationery. Mm. Like oh, yeah. It's notebooks really cool. and pens oh, man. And, yeah. and everything. <laughs> there's actually, there's this, this shop that I, I buy from frequently. They, I'm sure they know, but it's this website called Jet Pens. Mm. They have all kind of Japanese stationery. I think they just started out with pens and pencils, but they've got pens and pencils and, notebooks and markers and just That's cool. all kinds of stuff. Even my, even my planner that I have mm. is a, it's a Japanese planner called a, a Hobonichi Techo. Oh. And it's, it's this planner that kind of has like this worldwide cult following. Mm. Like they come out with new editions of the book every year at the first of September. Wow. And cool. it's a major event. Like, I mean, you know, for people that are not in Japan, I don't know how big it is in Japan, but yeah, but people that are into it are like, they're about it. That's really cool. Yeah. Like, like they will debut all of the new covers and things. They have new covers every year and they make it. So each year there's new and different limited edition covers when they're sold out, they're sold out. Uh, So if you miss it that year, it's gone forever. You might have to get it at a, on eBay or something like that. You can't just go. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And so there's that kind of scarcity built into it. But then, you know, when you said how uh, the culture kind of has all these little things that just kind of make your life easier, that's Mm. kind of how I feel about the planner, like the type of paper that it is, the Mm. different sizes that it comes in, the accessories that it comes with. It's very, it's no fuss. Mm. Like you get it and you just know what to do with it. You know, whereas sometimes you get planners and it's like they try to walk you step by step through what their process is. Yeah. Instead, you get this book and it's like, do whatever you want with it. Even all of the creative campaigns and stuff behind it are about individuality. It's less about planning your day and more about documenting your life. That's cool. That's really cool. See, that's that's what I like about people that dig into the craft of something. You know, you find it in, of course, every part of the world, but it's just, there are groups of people that, allow themselves to really dig in and make the best out of something that you wouldn't think that people would elevate. Like it's, you can take a notebook and you make it something more. And now mm-hmm. people are interested in it. They care about it. They're waiting for it. That's really cool to me in general. I think putting that good energy and that focus and that dedication into something and then delivering to people and raising the bar is awesome. What is Manic Realm? Okay. Manic Realm is a story world that I have built. And it's a means of me to get a lot of the stories that I have sitting on my shelf out. So I'm taking it to the level of, well, all media. So it's going to be movies, 
artwork. It's a lot of writing, music that I'm working on, things like that. And they're all coming together into something that I've been working on for a while. Yeah. When did you start with it? I think maybe mid, early to mid-college. It was quite a few years ago. Maybe okay. like more than, more than seven years ago, I think. Probably, yeah. About seven years ago, maybe. I remember I'd gotten the nickname. It was like Manic. It was like Frenzied Intensity. It was just the aspect of... I had obsessive focus. So at the time, I mean, I was very, very terrible with drawing. And I had gotten into another program because I didn't make it into the animation program. I had to kind of apply. You have to apply a certain way, do another portfolio to get in. And I was just in general focused on becoming better. And I was the one dude that would have my sketchbook out at parties, drawing at parties. <laughs> I'd have my book out girlfriend at the time was like, yo, go to bed. It's like 4 a.m. I'm like, nah, <laughs> one more study. Let me push a little more. <laughs> it was that type of thing where I just knew if I wanted to get better, I had to make up for whatever time I wasn't drawing. And I just knew that I was trying to achieve something that it's really far off. So I have to work hard now while I have the time if I'm in an environment that um, allows me to push like that where I have classes around me to study life drawing for how many hours a day if I want for all of these things around me. I mean, I was in that zone and I said, okay, I'll make the most of it and really just focus on the skill. Even if like at the time in school too, my grades weren't always great. Some classes were really good. Other ones were so-so, but it was more about the skill. I knew that most people, I couldn't expect anybody to understand what I was trying for because mm -hmm. it, did, it didn't really exist yet. So I was okay with that. I said, okay, they think what they want. They say what they want. I still have to keep working. It doesn't matter. And with that, I was just focused. So that intensity was the manic side. It was like the, that almost like off tilt obsessive side. And then I took that and modified it a bit and then started making art around it. And then as the stories came, I just kind of put that into a realm. And that was it. Simple. So it sounds like you have to kind of put in, uh, as, as Malcolm Gladwell says, you have to put in the 10,000 hours yeah, to get was, to a point where you were good. Yeah, it was kind of that. I mean, I knew that, um, for example, figure drawing, I was like, all right, if somebody needs me to draw a character in a certain pose, or if I want to animate them, if I can't spin it around in my head, I'm, I lose. Like, I just, and I can't, I can't just lose on something preventable, right? Mm -hmm. I just wanted the freedom to be able to say, I have this idea. This is really cool. Let's put it down on paper so that we can make it. Now, it's just the ability to translate. That's all that I was striving for. So whatever tools were necessary to get that, if it was, you know, after learning 3D to kind of help mm -hmm. out and speed things up, if it was matte painting, you know, all the photo bashing stuff, all of that from the VFX side. And if that needed to be learned, then I learned it. I like that idea of having sort of a central creative hub mm. that all of your other work kind of spawns from. Yeah. Uh, I feel like that's a good kind of motivating touch point for, yeah. for anything that you're doing. It helps a lot. I mean, for the longest while I was doing, I liked a lot of different stuff. I mean, I liked making and playing music. I liked art, photography, dance to keep active and like sports and things like that. And people would always say, you know, it's like, oh, you can't do everything. You can't do everything. And I go, what if the one thing that I want to do is being me? And then I just do that. <laughs> and mm -hmm. everything that comes from that is still me. 
And I think yeah. it's just also people understanding that if you just keep doing stuff with focus and you study the right way, you're going to get really good eventually. So you can do a bunch of different things and be patient because they add up and play a long game and see that they come together later. Like they don't, you don't have to be a beast now. That's nonsense, right? Yeah. Just be patient and enjoy the process, enjoy the work, enjoy the, the challenge and forget what people tell you. What have you created so far through Manic Realm? Let's see. A stack of music. I'm trying to put out something very soon, like as a full project. I've got books and books of stories that I've yet to release. And I'm more so orchestrating those things as films. So I took the drawing stuff and the writing to a certain point, And then I stepped out to learn more VFX and more cinematography stuff so that as I'm going through it, I can say, this is a camera we need. This is a lens we need. This is a location. This is set design. Then this is, you know, before that, there's all the concept design revisions. I know how stories work. I know how to get the results I want. I can do the VFX or at least jump in on the process and pull people to fill in gaps, that type of thing. So that if I have something specific that I need, I can, I've touched each part of it so that I'm not lost in making it. Yeah. So kind of like a, a jack of all trades in a way you, you're learning each part of the business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much simple. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah. what kind of work are, are you doing right now? I mean, you, I know with Manic Realm, that's involving all of your projects that you're working on. But mm. but right now, what are you doing? I'm working more heavily on cinematography. I'm building up my skill as a director and cinematographer, shooting more projects. So like I'm just scheduling stuff often and I'm learning about the process and connecting with more artists in the city to just get that out there. And then on the side, I'm training up the VFX and all of that so that I can implement that more into the projects. And after I have those under my belt, I get to bring things in and test it with people and say, oh, this is a new challenge. Let's see how we can integrate this. After all of that, then I will have more skill and more resources to put that into my own stuff. And, you know, I'll have enough people connected with me so that I can get my stuff done at the level that I want to see it at. What is a regular day like for you right now? I wake up, I don't know, pretty early, like seven, go through stuff, lots of phone calls, emails, checking stuff. Then I prep my own things, check my camera gear if I'm going to shoot out later. Yeah, and then just study up a little bit, freelance work, depending on what projects I have coming in. Then some days, maybe two or three out of the week, I head downtown into the city and then shoot at a few events. We go to projects, connect with my friends, plan some stuff make stuff and repeat. So it sounds like it kind of changes up a lot just based on what you've got to do. Mm, Yeah, totally varies. So some weeks I'm never outside other weeks. I'm downtown a lot. Um, This week is like even split. So uh, I've been downtown maybe two or three times already this week. Um, I'm going downtown today. And then after that, I come back, get some more stuff done and then head out tomorrow for like, listening to a new album for a friend that we're developing visuals for then there's like a film industry event that i'm shooting at and then after that there's like a pop-up from my friends in the street fashion community um with a restaurant crossover thing so we're kind of mingling with people and shooting video in between 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the flow. <laughs> <laughs> no, all of that sounds really cool. Like just being able to to dip across these different sectors like that with the work that you're doing. Mm, I think Toronto just allows it. It's extremely multicultural. We have a lot of communities. We have a lot of stuff going on all the time. So it's really easy to just jump in. And in fact, I find that there are too many things going on that I can't attend them. I wish I could. So there'll be three and four events a night. So yeah, it's just, there's always something happening. But it sounds like you're pretty tapped into the design scene there. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, everybody's kind of connected because it's it's big, but it's not that big. So Mm -hmm. for example... In the a street fashion community, I meet one friend, and then his sister um, happens to be a rapper, so she's connected to that cypher community. And then some of those rappers are also dancers, who's in the dance community, and I go there too, so I meet them. And then with that, some of them are artists and videographers and stuff like that. So you meet them, hang out, cross over, and you know everything is like there are people from each scene. Like everybody is kind of multidisciplinary, so they'll be in different scenes, and you'll see the same people. And also we have a spot called Kensington Market and they have one Sunday a month, they have pedestrian Sundays. So they open it up and they have like dance ciphers and artists and musicians and everybody all out. So yeah, there's a lot of opportunity for people to cross over. It just makes Mm -hmm. it easy. Now, what kind of tools are you using with uh, work that you do? Even though I know it's across a lot of different fields. Yeah. Because I, I know that people that are listening are probably really interested just to know what your process is okay. with all of this. Yeah. So usually, okay, I'll go. I can just go from start to finish on a piece. Come with the concept, draft it. You know, get write a little bit about it. Try to get the atmosphere. Envision that. Then create a mood board. Pull all the refs you can. All the interesting stuff, visuals, atmosphere, whatever you want to feel in the image. Then I go to the drafting pencil stage. Sketch a bunch of things. Test things out in advance. See what I'm looking at for. It's like when you sketch it, you can come up with a grocery list of things you need, right? So I'd say I have a character, I have a robot, I have a location. Then I go for this character. Do I need to learn how to render hair a certain way? Do I need a certain type of outfit? Do I need whatever? Then the lighting, what kind of lighting, what lights they use, you know, color temperature, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Location, materials, blah, blah, blah. So you just make a big grocery list. I jump into Maya usually. And I just block out the whole scene, test the lighting, throw things around in simple form. And then sometimes I take that back out to Photoshop and sketch on it. Then I use for speed, if I'm going for that, I'd use Daz 3D to throw in a quick character or make human. You can do that. There's also one called Face Gen, so that if you have photos or you draw a face or something, you can sculpt it based on the drawings. It's Yeah, it's really crazy. After that, I combine all of those things, mess around with them in Maya. And I'd use Marvelous Designer, it's a clothing program, to draw the patterns and then stitch the clothing and drape it on the characters. Then I go back into Maya and take the location, throw it into 3ds Max. They have like a one-button scene jump thing. And I use Corona Render. It's like more, people use it more in architectural visualization. I like that side of stuff, so I do it more. And I build up my own texture libraries and stuff. So then I go do that, texture out the scene, throw it back in, test the lighting, throw everything around, build it up to a certain point, and then I put it back to Photoshop and paint on it or do matte painting things or whatever. And yeah, that's... And sometimes, I mean, I could take it out and further post-process it in like Premiere or something. On average, how long would you say that process takes? I timed myself on one of my other pieces, maybe like four days. (laughs) Okay. Four days a piece. 
I guess, if like from start to finish. Yeah. Not knowing what I'm doing and then <laughs> resolving it in the first day and then building heavy. And then sometimes I take it to like only a certain level of finish, moderate level. And then I go into painting and my painting to just put icing on it. Well, it sounds like with jumping between all those different tools, it can be, I would think it's probably pretty meticulous work. So I could see why it would take that long. Um, I guess it's like certain things would, it would be much slower if I painted it manually. <laughs> I think, like, I think a lot of times that's like for speed. I learned that at work though, you know, certain things are like, we need this envisioned 14 different ways. You have two hours <laughs> and you're like, all right, well, what tools do we have to get this done? So they give you like a top to like buckets of resources so that you can say, you know, if I need to, for example, one task I was given, they're like, all right, we need a mechanical arm or a set of them to grapple onto a ship in this scene. So we don't know what it looks like. Go. And then that was it. So, <laughs> so I was working with a friend. She was a 3D modeler and I knew some 3D at the time and I just go in and get a bunch of like NASA resources and machines and just start designing like crazy. And then we throw them back and forth and we just quick, quickly iterate everything and then get it to a point where the rough model is built. And then we turn it around and we can get stuff done really fast. So yeah, it's more for efficiency at work. And then that kind of seeps into, you know, the home life. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you have a certain philosophy that kind of governs all your work? stay open. If you can just let go of whatever you think, you know, and stay open to possibility, you'll figure stuff out and you'll, you'll evolve. That's the biggest thing for me is I don't want to become too rigid in my approach. I like systems. I love systems and process so that I can get from A to B quickly. And then I establish that and then kind of have the freedom to move around within that and explore. I want to switch gears here a little bit. I want to bring up something that I saw on your Instagram. Mm -hmm. There's an image on your Instagram and it's a question. It says, I think it probably was a question you were posing to your audience, but it was, what's the honest side of yourself that you wish you could share? Yes. I remember that one. Yeah. The honest side of myself, I wish I could share. I think I wish that I could sit down one-on-one -on -one with more people and help them accomplish things. Like there's so many times when I see people that I want to do more for, and I know that I have to ultimately focus on myself at a certain point. So it's like, it's, I'm faced in like a duality of like, I want to do more for people, but at the same time I have to stonewall a lot of things. And mm -hmm. that's the one part that I wish I could like express more that there are a lot of things that, I'm very, I guess I could say, it sounds weird, but like cutthroat almost in a sense where it's like, if something is somewhat toxic or something, I love helping people, but sometimes I have to say, okay, I draw a barrier around myself. I have to focus, evolve. Then I get to a point where I can do more. And mm -hmm. I guess it's a lot of people know that where it's like, you have to build up yourself to a certain point before you can reach back and lift people up. And I'm in that stage where it's in between, where I'm starting to become close to what I'm trying to do. And there are a lot of things I wish I could do more. So yeah, that's the thing that sits with me. The inability to have the impact that I want completely and knowing that I have to do more by myself to get there. 
so that I can double back and help. What keeps you motivated and inspired with your work? Um, motivated? Well, we have a time limit on life. <laughs> so that is strong motivator for me. There's a lot that I want to do. And I know that we have to die. And it frustrates me. So I want to make sure that I get all my cool stuff done <laughs> before, before that's it, before it's like the end. So yeah, that's my motivator. I'm like, oh, time limit. Damn. All right, let's get to work. <laughs> And the other part of the question, it was like, just, was that it mainly just the motivation? No, but like you're, but I mean, what also, what inspires you as well? Oh, inspires me. Okay. Inspires me. Life is awesome and crazy. Like it's so huge. It's the vastness of everything is just insane. The limitless possibility that's infinitely inspiring. Knowing just even sitting down and talking to three new people in a week understanding where they came from, what their situations are, what their frameworks are. That's enough inspiration for entire, you know, novels, movies. You can run with that. So understanding that there are billions of people, like getting out there, meeting them, learning about things, expressing your own things, just the dynamics, learning about the social dynamics of people, all of that, it's infinite, you know, information. And that's so inspiring to me. What's the last thing you got inspired by? Like heavily, heavily inspired. Mm. Any kind of inspiration. Like even yesterday, I met somebody on the train. She was going through a rough time and she told me a story about, it was a kind of a heavy story, but her former husband got like paralyzed and then she had another husband after and they know each other and he asked permission from the former husband to marry her and that situation and the dynamic between them, that was like, really, I was just not expecting that because it was a woman that just sat beside me on the train because she was going through it with somebody else on the platform. And we started talking about just life and, you know, gratitude and everything. And that was, yeah, that was big. I'm like, I want to make a movie. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. It was just things like that. It's just the simplest things. You never know when you're going to see somebody who's, you know, or meet somebody who's been through it. I mean, everybody goes through stuff, but knowing that the dynamic exists and those things happen so close to home. It's inspiring. Just it's not in like a, it's not necessarily the same. Oh my God, this is so cool. Charge you up way. It's like there is vastness and I'm inspired to express that. Is there anything that you regret not doing due to fear? Huh? Nah, like, nah, like I have to, at the, <laughs> at the, I think about it. And I'm like, nah, at that, at all of the times when I've been, like too scared to do stuff or try stuff, I learn from it and I go, all right, I wasn't there yet. So now I'm at the point where I have certain limits, I have certain reach, and I do my best in this moment. It's not really, I can't feel bad about certain stuff. It's just like, that was how it was and I can do more. Aside from Manic Realm, hmm? or, or maybe this is through Manic Realm, I don't know. Do you have a dream project that you'd love to do? There are different things. Like I want to like tour with a band at some point. That's like one of my other things. I really enjoy music. That would be really cool. That's like one of my other dream things. Yeah. Traveling around with music. <laughs> like doing photography? Like, no, before? no, like playing music. Like I want to actually, oh, like, like, okay. on like I want to do that once at least just, even if it's like a three stop tour, I don't care. Just, <laughs> just, <laughs> just to be like, yeah, I did it. That was cool. It was fun. Like playing an instrument or DJing? Yeah, yeah or, playing, or, an, playing an instrument. Like I play guitar and piano. 
So okay. I'd really like to maybe dig into guitar more heavy and travel around with a band or something. That'd be cool. I think you're, I think you're maybe the third person I've had on that. Whenever I ask about that dream project, it always revolves around music. Mm-hmm. I like that. It's fun. It's really fun. Yeah. Who are some of your, your influences? I guess like more like inspiring, like not really stylistic influences, but I like the work that uh, cinematographer Rena Yang is doing. She's just like, it's cool to see somebody come up and then you see a ton of projects that are just cool that they're working on. I think that is just like, it's just cool seeing somebody doing it. You know what I mean? I think that's the coolest thing. Just anybody that's getting out there and really doing what they like and letting, like showing how far you can go with stuff. Yeah, I like seeing that. It's just really, really cool to me, the journey that people go through. Yeah, when I looked at your work, I got a strong, I think I said before, like I got a strong anime feel. Earlier you mentioned Ghost in the Shell, and I was like, yeah, that kind of fits mm-hmm. as well. Like I get that, I don't know, it's it's that and it's, I'm trying to think, remember what the guy's name was, the person who did Neon Genesis Evangelion. Oh, yeah, 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 that stuff, yeah, yeah. I can't remember his name, but I know the studio is Gynax. Mm-hmm. I get that feeling from looking at some of your works. Yeah, I saw, I saw their stuff pretty early and... Yeah, the whole like underground Japanese comic or scene um, yeah. is just really cool to me. Also, at the time too, when I started out, it was into like uh, visual K music. So it was like a lot of gothic rock and things like that. And the music, it was like Japanese goth rock and like classical stuff and a bunch of things mixed together. It was cool to me because at the time, you know, like snap music, like lean with it, rock with it stuff was coming out. Like all of that stuff. And I was like, I'm bored. I was like, I'm bored. Like I, I like it for parties, but at the same time, if I'm trying to draw something or tell a story, that's not the soundtrack yeah. I'm trying to listen to. So with that, my friends that gave me the art also sent me buckets of CDs, tons of CDs. And that stuff was just really cool because when I listened to that music, it helped me create. Like I thought of more stories. It just seemed like scenes were painting themselves in my head. I didn't have to, mm-hmm. you know, the whole scenario would play out. And I didn't have to, you know, you don't have to fight against anything. It's just the atmosphere is set so you can create. Are there any particular artists that you can name? Oh, it was like uh, Malice Miser was big. Monty Ma was one group was after them. Let's see, Duran Gray, I started getting into them around then too. I didn't like them too much at the beginning, but then I saw them live in 07 and it was cool. I've seen them every time they come back. There's another band called, oh my God, Nightmare is really high school, but I saw them. Uh-huh. Who else? There's a band called No God that came to Toronto for the first time ever. I listened to them when I was in like late high school and mm-hmm. up until now. And that was really cool. It's just a lot of bands that aren't afraid to push their visuals. They style themselves really heavily. And the music that they make is just really vast. They push across a lot of... They throw in a lot of combinations that you just wouldn't expect out of bands. So like one video, there's a song called Atria by No God. People can look it up. It's an ancient video. And basically the lead singer, he has like one giant Freddy Krueger like claw and crazy. He looks like a crazy clown. It's really weird. But in the video, <laughs> they're looking for Dragon Balls. And they and, okay. and they, they end up like it's part, and they, it's part of a mini movie that they made. It's just really different. But the vocal combination with the guitar and the music and 
the visual, like everything, it just, it's a clash, but it's interesting. And I think that type of thing was just cool to me. Like really seeing people just not afraid to make their own stuff. Are you satisfied creatively? I want to make more. I'm never satisfied. Like I like what I make a lot, but there's so much more that I want to do. Like, for example, with film, I'm at the point now where I just need access to higher end equipment because I'm reaching the limits of my own gear set. And it's interesting. Like, it's like, you know, if you have a computer and you don't have enough RAM, <laughs> like yeah. it's like that feeling, but you can still make some good stuff on it. It's just, you can't handle certain things on the gear set. So right now my camera set is limited. So I'm looking into more rentals for projects and then, you know, talking to friends who have higher end gear and doing that. So it's like, I think maybe I'm like a month out from getting that, <laughs> but yeah, that's the only limit I really feel. I'm like, oh man, I just want that gear, but it costs like collectively more than a house. So like a cheap house or like some cars. <laughs> so it's still a lot of money. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. So someday. What do you want to accomplish for the rest of the year? In general, I want to get my money up to a point where I can, again, it's like that gear stuff is really sitting heavy with me. I want to get that, that type of stuff going. I want to be at the point where I'm shooting for bigger clients because, and then getting to the point where the integration with the VFX and stuff is solid with my footage. And then I want to get back to Japan as well for a little bit. That'd be really cool because I have a lot of friends that I got to see. So now when you look forward, let's say the next uh, five years or so, what do you want to have accomplished? I'd like to have like a base of operations downtown Toronto, a base of operations back in Osaka and my team to be at a point where we can travel freely and do this and make stories full time. That's my five-year goal. Okay. Yeah. Well, just to kind of wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work online? Okay. They can find me on Instagram at Manic Realm. I post my frequent shots and stuff there. So all the day trips I have, I'm usually posting stuff. You can find me on Vimeo.com slash Manic for my reels and video stuff. MattStCyr.CarbonMade.com. The link will be the description so that you don't have to worry about the spelling where else i have a few other sites but i think everything is linked out through those so through those main ones and i think i'm on twitter too at manic realm mm -hmm. it's manic realm for most everything so if you search that you're going to find me everywhere all right sounds good well matthew st Cyr, thank you again so much for coming on the show mm, thanks for having thank me thank you for kind of yeah thank you for sharing kind of your perspective on on how you approach your work. I mean, certainly when I was doing my research and, and wanted to have you on the show, I was like, this guy has a really strong particular brand and aesthetic that he sees through everything. And so I was just really curious to know what your process was behind that, what your inspirations are. I mean, it's like some really, I'm loath to say that it's current. Mm. You know what I mean? I feel like it's something that is, is certainly very now in terms of how it feels like there's a certain, kind of energy to it, even though it, it is pretty subdued for the most part. Mm. But I'm really excited to kind of see how your style and your work grows through Manic Realm. Thank you. In the next few years. Like once you, like you say, once you get the gear kit up, yeah. um, I'm really excited to see because if you can 
produce stuff at the level that you're doing now, I mean, I can only imagine what's going to happen Thanks. in the future. So thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me, man. I appreciate it too. Thoughts of love are and that's it for this week. Big thanks to Matthew St. Cyr and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Matthew and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Also, thanks as always to our sponsors, Facebook Design, MailChimp, Hover, and SiteGround. Facebook designers work on creative products that are used by over 2 billion people. Their mission is to make the world more open and connected, and they use design to create prototypes, shape experiences, and ultimately solve problems as well. Learn more about Facebook Design at facebook.com forward slash design. Whether you need to sell your products, share some big news, or just tell a story, MailChimp makes it easy to create campaigns that best suit your message. You can automate your marketing efforts like we talked about at the top of the show, put your data to work, and watch your results roll in. Visit MailChimp.com and sign up for a free account today. MailChimp. Send better email. Every great idea deserves a great domain name, and the good thing about Hover is that they take all of that hassle and confusion out of both buying and managing your domains. They offer free private domain registration, your choice of hundreds of unique domain extensions, and you can connect those domains to your WordPress site, your Behance profile, your Dribbble profile, your LinkedIn profile, any of that stuff. So if you're ready to get started, go to hover.com forward slash revision path and get 10% off on your first purchase. Since 2004, SiteGround has been empowering web professionals and beginners alike to build better, faster, safer websites easily without having to worry about web hosting. Visit SiteGround.com forward slash revision path to get 60% off on all your hosting plans. SiteGround, web hosting crafted with care. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. If you liked this episode, please do me a huge favor. First, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, and secondly, leave us a rating and a review. It only takes a minute or two. It really helps the show out by bumping us up in the rankings there for Design Podcast. And just like for Robert's review, I'll even read it right here on the show. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. Visit us at yepitslunch.com for all your design, strategy, and creative consulting needs. And if you like the work that we're doing here with Revision Path, then please consider becoming a patron. You know, now more than ever, Revision Path needs your support to make sure that stories about black designers and creatives in our field are being told in their own words. So if you support us, if you support our mission, just go to patreon.com forward slash revision path and pledge today. For just $5 a month, you can get access to behind the scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.